create lasting change, inspire others, and make a difference. You have joined the Influencers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Donaldson, and each week you will hear from distinguished co-hosts and guests as they share insights into impacting our culture from your neighborhood to the nations. One of the most moving experiences that you will ever have is hearing a Teen Challenge choir singing, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. And you better be well stocked with Kleenex as you hear the testimonies of people set free from addictions through the Lord Jesus Christ using this incredible ministry called Teen Challenge. And we are honored to have with us Gary Blackard, a good friend and president and CEO of Adult and Teen Challenge, a faith-based and Christ-centered addiction recovery organization founded in 1958 by the late, great David Wilkerson. And with more than, get this, 266 locations in North America and more than 1,400 worldwide, Adult and Teen Challenge is the largest addiction recovery network in the world. And uh, even though I can't hear our listeners, I'm sure they're all saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank God that we have Teen Challenge. But we're also grateful we have Gary uh, that is leading this ministry. Uh, He gained extensive global experience while serving Xerox Corporation as vice president for client operations and strategic services delivery. And in that role, he led teams as large as 700-plus people and managed annual revenues of $540 million. Gary is currently an adjunct professor for the Graduate Program in Healthcare Administration at the University of Southern California. And uh, he's also a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. So, Gary... Uh, thank you for your service to our nation. Thank you for your service to Teen Challenge. Well, thank you, Dave. What a privilege to join you today and, and talk about my favorite subject, Adult and Teen Challenge, and what God is doing uh, in the thousands of lives we touch every day. Well, it's one of my favorite topics, too. So let's begin with just educating our listeners. What is Teen Challenge? So you did a great job in the opening uh, remarks, but really we, at at its simple form, we are performing the services of the Good Samaritan. You know, Christ told the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that's really what Adult and Teen Challenge is all about, caring well for those suffering an addiction by exposing them or bringing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through that evangelism, Uh, that we do and the discipleship that then follows, they find freedom from addiction uh, and all sorts of addictions, whether it's alcohol or drug uh, related, they find that freedom that's found in Christ. Uh, And that's really in its simplest form what Adult and Teen Challenge is all about. And I remember President Bush, uh, who is one of the biggest fans of Teen Challenge. In fact, he established the faith-based and community initiatives uh, in part because of Teen Challenge and its effectiveness around the world. And he said that 
For people to truly be delivered, it requires a change of heart and habits, and that's only going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. So why is faith-based recovery, though, so important? And this is in the midst of a landscape of so many organizations that used to be faith-based, but no longer, you know, serve in that way. Yeah, you know, it, there there's many reasons why faith-based recovery is so important. And certainly when we're talking about faith-based, we're talking about Christ-centered from an adult teen challenge perspective. But I can tell you recent research is, was actually just published September of 2019 that stated 84% of all scientific studies in this research in addiction treatment and recovery show that faith is a positive factor in the recovery of an individual. So even scientific research is proving that there's power in faith uh, in the recovery process. Now, we already know that. You mentioned the Holy Spirit. We know there's power uh, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of someone's life and begins to transform. But faith-based recovery is also important because when, when we think about addiction treatment and recovery, Many programs, especially secular programs, cannot answer some of the questions that those suffering with substance abuse are asking. Questions like, what's the meaning of my life now that I've been an addict? Mm. Questions like, do I have any value as a human being? Because I've been on meth for 15 years. Mm -hmm. What's the value of my humanity now? Questions like, where's my hope? I've been on heroin for eight years. What what hope do I have now? Well, it's very easy for a Christ-centered organization to answer those questions because Christ is the meaning. Christ is our value. Our identity is in Christ, and our hope is found in Christ. So when you start addressing questions like that uh, for those suffering in addiction— uh, you begin to really change the character uh, of the individual, the spiritual uh, components and elements uh, coming along with that individual, and Christ begins to really transform. So that's what faith-based re- or why faith-based recovery is so important. And Gary, you recently sent me a lot of stories of lives that have been transformed. Is there one or two that stand out right now? Well, actually, you know, even the ones besides the ones I sent you, there's one that was just published today on social media. Uh, Her name is Tiffany, and uh, Tiffany was a drug addict for years. She actually spent eight years homeless underneath a bridge in the Northwest um, and finally found her way to an Adult and Teen Challenge women's program in the Northwest where Christ radically transformed her life. Now, there's a curriculum process. There's a there's a work process. Uh, so it's a very stringent program, but it's certainly uh, centered on Christ and the biblical worldview, and it radically changed Tiffany's life. So now Tiffany is happily married uh, to a wonderful Christian man, another graduate, by the way, mm. uh, healthy. Uh, and now works in the recovery industry, actually for a sister organization, um, doing transition for those that have graduated or perhaps have finished rehab, and now they're transitioning into the world. She now works her, uh, for that ministry there in the Northwest. So just one wow. of the 
tens of thousands of stories. Love it. Well, uh, that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is what's happening uh, as you look at the trends of addictive behaviors in America. Uh, this hit close to home a few years ago. Uh, our oldest cousin uh, died of an opiate overdose, and I'll never forget. I was actually there in Springfield, Missouri, driving down Kansas Expressway, and I received a call from my younger cousin, and she was just hysterical. Uh, she had just found her sister uh, dead, you know, slumped over in a lazy boy chair uh, because of the opiate overdose. And I'll tell you, my oldest cousin, Sherry, one of the most talented, caring people you would ever meet. And just hard to believe, just absolutely hard to believe that she died that way. And uh, it, it just was so tragic. Uh, to be at her funeral and with our family and to see these beautiful children, grandchildren uh, that are going to grow up now without their, their grandma. Uh, but this is what we're seeing across America. Uh, share with us about really the, the plight of so many in our nation and around the world. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, where we're, the trends are going up as it relates to those uh, suffering uh, with addiction, so much is happening, and and some of it is is self-driven as it relates to some of the legislation, the policies that we're putting in place, not only here in the United States, but the, that have been put in place around the world. Uh, policies like uh, legalizing uh, drugs. You know, with the legalization of marijuana in many states, soon it'll be at the federal level. Um, with the legalization now of psychotropic drugs uh, that are being uh, entertained by some states. If we think we have an addiction problem now, wait till 15 to 20 years from now, which is uh, mind boggling uh, when you think about it. 20.3 million people in 2018, which is the latest statistics, uh, from the uh, from SAMHSA, the, the government agency that monitors this, 20.3 million people self-reported as being addicted um, or substance abusers uh, with a very strong definition of what that means. And basically it's high usage. Uh, you can't uh, uh, put it down, etc. So 20.3 million people which has an economic impact right now on just the United States of $740 billion uh, in economic impact. So we, we've got a lot of uh, different uh, ways that it, uh, addiction is impacting this great country of ours. And more importantly, souls are being lost as people are dying, ODing uh, on a variety of different uh, uh, drugs. And there's a clear uh, uh, delineation between those in addiction and those with mental health concerns or issues uh, as well. So it's a much broader problem that we're seeing in the United States and brought on by uh, several different uh, uh, factors. But we're, we're in trouble and it's going to continue to grow unless uh, this nation turns to the Lord uh, and makes him our God. And uh, certainly we need to change policy and legislation in doing that. Yeah, I served on the SAMHSA Commission, uh, CSAT, the Center for 
substance abuse treatment for four years and experts on that commission uh, that had uh, many more degrees than me, uh, they predicted it, that these co-occurring disorders would lead to homelessness that would one day be out of control. And this past weekend, we hosted the Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services, Lynn Johnson, over the Administration for Children and Families. And she shared that literally billions of dollars last year was in new money was invested in homelessness, uh, but it still grew by 16%. And how few faith-based organizations are partnering with government to solve this crisis. Uh, But she said, you know, a lot of a lot of the people on the streets are suffering with mental illness, uh, but also addictions. And many of these people are, you know, are like my cousin. I mean, normal people that that have families, you know, that had good jobs, but something, you know, went wrong in their life. They're spinning out of control. And uh, and so we need Teen Challenge to to really grow and grow and we got to get behind it like never before. Amen. The Amen. Uh, you know you talked about uh, the uh, how these states you know are legalizing marijuana and I was reading the other day how many states like Colorado the emergency wards have grown by 44% the number of people that are visiting the emergency wards and so it is literally stretching all the seams of infrastructure in our cities. Uh, Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it is a major problem, and uh, it's it's mind-boggling because you read some of the research, and they'll say, uh, well, it has nothing to do with the crime, the additional crime, especially petty crimes uh, are up in most of the states uh, that have legalized marijuana. Uh, and, and some of the research would say, well, there's no influence there. Well, when you dig inside of the research, you realize or dig inside of the process, the criminal justice system, marijuana may be listed on the criminal report, on the police report. But just because it's listed on the police report doesn't indicate that it's an indicator of the crime or a factor in the crime. Uh, so that's why they don't count it uh, as such. The bottom line is. I don't care what the research says uh, from any scientist, from any university, what thousands, tens of thousands of addicts are telling us when we are dealing with them. We had 11,000 addicts come through our doors in 2018. We're on pace to beat that in 2019. Uh, we we, We deal with tens of thousands. And I can tell you, everyone that I have spoken with, which is in the hundreds and hundreds, Everyone that I have spoken with this last year has named alcohol or marijuana as the gateway drug into their meth or heroin or opioid addiction. So while research may technically show one thing or the data is being manipulated to show one thing, what people are literally telling us, those that are going through it, is marijuana is a gateway drug. So we're legalizing a drug that every addict I've spoken with, and I know hundreds of others have spoken with the same group, have said is a gateway drug. 
but also uh, pain medicine. Absolutely. Is that as well? Well, I, yeah, I'll chime in on that as well. I can tell you, I recently read a study where when the opioid crisis really hit the East Coast, this is West Virginia, Pennsylvania, uh, Virginia, really, really um, uh, damaged those cities, those states, those markets. Uh, at its peak, the prescriptions that were happening in some of those markets, the dosages and the level of prescriptions uh, for these opioids, they did a study and they said the average person who took a 30-day supply of what was prescribed during that time period, 42% of the people who would have taken that prescription would have ended up being addicted. Mm. Wow. 42%. And people don't realize how one drug can negatively interact with the other. And so it's not just so-called drug addicts. Uh, it's people that are hooked on these prescription drugs that desperately need help and deliverance. You're absolutely right, Dave. In fact, you know, the number I shared earlier, the 20.3 million self-reported, think about the millions who haven't reported who are functional addicts, able to do their jobs, but going home and drinking a fifth of whiskey a night. Um, or the, the, those that are stay at home moms or whatever that are drinking wine, all day throughout the day. They're functional addicts, but they're still addicts. And and the enemy leads them into believing that they'll wake up. And we yes. know what is the opiate? It's what, 115 are dying every day? Yes. Yeah. One in Here in the United States, every seven minutes, something someone dies. Uh, from an opioid overdose. So I can take a benzo, consume it with alcohol, I'll be okay, I'll sleep it off, and then you don't wake up. Yep. And I spoke at a very prominent church in America, and I asked, you know, just people had their eyes closed, and I asked for, because I wanted to pray over them, how many here would admit that they are addicted to Ambien uh, or some other a prescription drug for sleeping. And I got to tell you, out of 2,000 people, about 500 raised their hand. Wow. This, wow. this is an epidemic, and you better believe it, it affects your personality, and it affects your way of life. It will affect your family, and you need deliverance. But let's talk about the good news and how each person— can make a difference in helping those that are suffering from addictions. Yeah, this is this is the 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 best news story for us, right? So we see the transformation that God makes in the lives of those we're touching every day, but it's not just those lives. So we see the the restored relationships with parents, restored relationships with spouses, restored relationships with children. And we watch as those relationships end up blossoming uh, as the those suffering with addiction become transformed in Christ. Well, the, their family members and, and their friends that surround them also become transformed because they're seeing what a difference uh, in the life uh, of the individual that they love so much. It's extremely important as a church, as, as an individual, to think about 
how we can help those because statistically we all know someone who's addicted or indirectly um, are connected with someone who is addicted. Uh, so statistically, you're already dealing with somebody uh, in that uh, area. So how how do you make a difference? So there's a couple of things I would say. One, get knowledgeable. Understand what's happening in this space because it is affecting much of America. And so we need to be knowledgeable as Christians around what is addiction? Why is it so prevalent? Uh, how can I help uh, battle it as a Christian? Uh, again, thinking of the story of the Good Samaritan as that man was beaten and the Samaritan walks up and gives uh, medicinal or medicine with the, the wine and the oil and the healing uh, components and then takes uh, the individual to an inn uh, and pays for their uh, stay so that they can recover. Uh, well, the same thing when you think about those in addiction, it's the same type of thing. You want to love those through it, but you that love has got to be a tough love. The number one uh, enabler uh, from a relationship perspective, the number one enabler for most addicts is those closest to them. Mm. So, so unfortunately, because we love them so much, we tend to give benefit of the doubt or we, we tend to believe um, when they're telling us. And unfortunately, what we need to understand is those in addiction become master manipulators. Mm -hmm. they, they, they know how to spin a story, uh, tell a lie, and they will, they will uh, do it to, with such effectiveness that they will fool most people they come in contact with. Um, and so unfortunately, family members become enablers uh, because we tend to believe what they say. We tend to, uh, again, give the benefit of the doubt. Oh, tomorrow we'll, we'll uh, work on that. Uh, let's just get them through tonight. Uh, so that love needs to be a tough love. At some point, the family member has to address it and address it head on. And that could be even to the point of let me offer to take you to an intake center. Let me let me find the nearest adult and teen challenge center. And there's a lot of them around the nation, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Dave, with 266 locations. Let me let me take you to one of these locations. And in many cases, most of our centers will come pick you up. Mm. <laughs> um, so we'll send a van. We'll come pick you up. Uh, so um, offer to take them. Make that connection and bring them to the center you have to engage them of course you pray for them and and you do the pray and fasting and, and prayer and fasting and you do the spiritual aspect but but it needs to be more than just the spiritual like the good samaritan there was physical needs being met so how do we meet the physical needs of those being addicted and typically that is tough love uh challenging them and then engaging them to get them to a place that can help them uh, with their addiction. Uh, and more often than not, you do that, uh, and it, that'll go a long way in, in helping them start their journey. Now, with addicts, th there, is, uh, there is something to be said that they, many of them have to reach the final point. Many of them have to reach the point where they want the help. Um, so don't get frustrated. The other thing I would say is that when you're helping someone in addiction, don't get frustrated with it. Just stay in the prayer mode. Stay in the loving mode. Stay in the tough love mode. Don't enable them, but stay in that mode because eventually 
Christ will answer prayers, um, and eventually they will come around and seek that help. And it's at that instant you can be there for them and and drive them to a center. That is so well said. And part of the challenge is how to destigmatize getting help, because a person like an alcoholic is often going to say, uh, I'm not addicted to anything. Uh, meanwhile, you know, they're not only manipul- manipulating their family, but they're manipulating their doctors, doing whatever right. it takes to get those medicines, and, and they are addicted. And, right. But it, it requires a destigmatizing and a family member to really speak as you so well and eloquently communicated to them in love, you know, tough love, and to get help. And can you talk just a little bit more about that to that person that's listening, that uh, they know they're addicted. They know that they need help. They have been conning you know, one person or another, you know, to to get these meds, uh, these meds that now control them. They need help, but at the same time, you know, they don't want to lose their job. They don't want yeah. their friends and their pastor and coworkers to look down on them. What do you say to that person? Well, I say there's hope. Right. There's hope found in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. So the first thing I would tell an individual is get support. First of all, uh, be praying yourself. Your, your relationship with Christ may not be strong, um, but be praying yourself. Reach out in prayer. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is find somebody that you can talk to, somebody that you trust that you can talk to, a local pastor at a local church a counselor in a clinical counseling organization. Find somebody that you can talk to uh, and just share what's happening in your life. I tell people all all the time, those uh, suffering an addiction, uh, think about your future. You are, most addicts know what their future is. They they know if they do not get help, there's going to be a serious problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the, The issue is, they're so addicted that that just the the future doesn't matter at some point. So they know their future. So understanding their future, what I tell them is break down your recovery in bite-sized pieces, in micro steps. Take one step toward finding somebody you can just talk to, not to go to recovery, not to go to treatment. If you just one step to find someone to talk to, that's the first step. Then, then take another step to figure out, okay, do I need residential care? You mentioned somebody may have a good job. Somebody may have a family member. Maybe they can't go into a, a long-term program, six months, 12 months long for those reasons. Well, there's a lot of other opportunities, especially within Teen Challenge. We have short-term programs. We're actually launching short-term 30-day discipleship programs here in the next year mm-hmm. uh, where – People can come into a teen challenge and get the help they need uh, within 30 days. And so most people can take a 30-day leave uh, from their jobs, and most insurance companies will pay for that um, uh, to take that leave. So there's options out there. The, The other option I would say, or I would tell those in addiction, is um, don't be afraid to 
tell how vulnerable you are. Don't be afraid to walk up to somebody and say, hey, listen, I've been taking meth for 15 years. Uh, more often than not, when you walk up to a counselor or a pastor uh, in those elements and you're sharing your life story, you're going to get the compassion needed. You're going to get uh, those people that want to help you, want to encourage you. That's the importance of being in community, right? So, so when you're when you're an addict, most addicts are isolationless. That's they're right. They're so they're so isolated yes. uh, because because of you know they have no value or they feel like they have no value as a human being. Um, they they're embarrassed. They're fearful. They're uh, angry. They're, I mean, there's so many emotions that goes through an addict um, that they become isolationless. They, they isolate themselves, and that's the worst thing you can do. And, you know, I, I went on a, a safari in Africa, mm. and you see, and it's hard to watch, animals that are wounded or for whatever reason they get separated from the pack, and then you see the predators move in. The Bible says that the enemy prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's what he's doing. That's the strategy to find people, good people, that are getting separated from the pack, separated from the family, separated from the church. And then the enemy moves in and picks them off. That's exactly what's happening. And so, you know, let me encourage those uh, in addiction, functional addiction, uh, dysfunctional addiction, whatever, get into a community, get into a recovery community, get with someone, get one person, get into, get in touch with another individual that can begin to help you on the road to recovery. Uh, it'll be much harder to try to do it on your own. That's so well said. Well, the local church, we have churches on almost every corner in America. And these churches, they need to be equipped. They need to be mobilized. They need to be hope centers for the addicted. Let's talk for a moment about how the church can improve its support in this area. Yeah, you know, you 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 stated a word earlier, uh, stigmatized. Uh, even within the church, there's such a huge stigma overall uh, in the area of addiction. There's this argument uh, that's been made, you know, it's a moral choice. Addiction, um, you know, is a sin, and people make this moral choice, and it, so they've kind of, you know, uh, walked themselves into this old, uh, this, uh, their own problems, uh, they made their choices. They made their bed, so they they need to lie in it, sort of thing. The problem with the with that uh, argument is that's no longer the case. If we if we as we discussed uh, earlier, because of the opioid crisis and the prescription crisis, uh, and now science is telling us that there are uh, many thousands of people whose brains uh, have uh, are susceptible to certain types of drugs, certain types of alcohol. And though there are those um, in, the, uh, in humanity that can get addicted faster mm -hmm. than others. So it's a both and approach. I tell people 
all the time. Uh, so as a church, stop just focusing on sin or the moral choice, because there is also a science side of this uh, and, a, and a medical side of this that's impacting some, not all, but some of those in addiction. And the bottom line is Christ came to forgive sins and heal diseases. He came to forgive and he came to heal. So no matter how you approach addiction, Christ came to forgive and he came to heal. So as a church, that's how we ought to be looking at addiction. He came to forgive and he came to heal. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you find Christ. I'm here to help you uh, in your relationship to him. And so I think we need to remove the stigma even within the church uh, for the most part. I could tell you there are many active churches uh, heavily involved with teen challenges across the United States. And when I say heavily involved, we've got our residential programs attending. They're members at the churches. We've got those churches providing counselors, volunteers. They will go to the Teen Challenge locations and volunteers, cook meals, uh, etc. They will provide resources, whether it's funding, whether it's uh, firewood or depending on where you're at. Um, they'll, they'll provide resources uh, for these centers. They actively get engaged. And that's above and beyond certainly the foundational prayer, uh, praying for local centers, praying for those locally in addiction. But I, I can tell you, Dave, and you're, you're a world traveler also, Russia, I, I've had the opportunity in the last year to go to Russia and South Africa and, and speak in some leadership conferences for Team Challenges there. And they have this model down right. So in, in both Russia and South Africa, the church actually runs the teen challenges. They also run orphanages, by the way, and they run homeless center. And the church actively runs a teen challenge center. They're responsible for it. They run it. And even in South Africa, which is amazing, they've actually created these homes of hope where uh, literally neighborhood homes are identified as those homes. Hey, if you've got an issue, just show up at the door of this home anytime, day or night, 24-7. Show up at the door of this home. And the owners of that home have agreed to take those individual in, individuals in, care for them immediately, and then get them to a spot they need to go for. That is active church engagement. That's outstanding. Uh, when I was on staff at a local church, uh, part of my portfolio was counseling. And Gary, it was a heartbreaker to see not mm. only people that were addicted uh, adults, but also their children. And I know that this is not always the case, and, and it won't always be the case. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, one adult uh, starts that or carries on that addiction, and it becomes systemic, you know, in, in, in to where even their children uh, start taking the same drugs or worse. And my cousin that I spoke of earlier, uh, her dad, uh, one of my closest friends, one of the most brilliant men you would ever meet. And I remember visiting him in his apartment. It was dark. Uh, he had like these air conditions on. And then the coffee table was covered with all of these, these meds. And uh, he sat there like a zombie. And I took my hand and I 
swept those drugs off that table and I said, Jim, you're killing yourself. You're killing yourself. You're killing your marriage. You're killing your family. And I begged him. I begged him to get help. And he wouldn't. And he died. And he died. And then years later, you know, I'm attending his daughter's funeral, dying the same way. And it doesn't have to happen. No. If people yeah. will just push the pause button, count the costs, see what's at stake, get some help, and not only saving your life, but saving your marriage, your job, and your family, and it'll be, other other than accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, Savior it'll be the best decision you ever made. Amen, Gary? Amen, amen. I, I can tell you, just to, to provide some more hope, Within the next 30 days, there's going to be an app that's launched called Sober Pure. Mm. And this app is going to give those in addiction the ability anonymously to get some help from peer specialists, from counselors, from guides. And they can do it anonymously. They just go on this app, download the app for free, and they begin the journey of just interacting with those on the app. That will go along. Just start there uh, when the Sober Pure is the name of the app. Outstanding. And Gary, I'd like for us to close our time in prayer, and I'd like for you to pray uh, for those that are caught in addictions and for deliverance and for family members and friends that are also coping with this, and that as a family that they will seek help and that they can receive not only Jesus but the new beginnings he offers. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the throne room. As it says in Hebrews, right, we can find help in our time of need. So, Father, we boldly enter into your throne room. Lord, we ask on behalf of the millions that are addicted to some form of drug or alcohol. Lord, we ask for your intervention. Holy Spirit, begin to touch the hearts and the minds of those bound by these chains. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord, give them courage to take that first step to find someone. Lord, give them boldness to get out of the addiction. Lord, we ask that you cut off all resources. Lord, make a way where there seems to be no way. Close doors, close windows, Lord. Lord, provide a way for them to get that help immediately, Lord. Father, I also pray that they begin to understand that they are made in the image of you. Doesn't matter how much heroin they've shot up. Doesn't matter how many pills they've swallowed. Doesn't matter how much alcohol they've drank. They were made in the image of you. And their identity can be found in Jesus Christ. Their identity can be found in you. So, Lord, I pray that you also begin to work on their minds and their hearts to realize that you want a relationship with them, that you love them right where they're at. Doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how or why, that you love them right where they're at. So, Father, open their hearts to that. May they feel your presence. May they feel your peace wash over them right now. Lord, we also pray for the family members and friends of these individuals. 
Lord, that's a difficult situation to watch a family member slowly disintegrate their life, slowly change into somebody completely different. Lord, that's hard. That's difficult, painful. So, Lord, I pray for peace for family members. Lord, I pray for strength as well. That, Father, instead of becoming the number one enabler, that, Lord, they'll become the number one encourager to get help. And that, Father, they will lean into you instead of leaning into the circumstance. That, Lord, you will give them peace even in the midst of seeing a loved one suffer. Lord, we pray for that. Thank you, Lord, that you care. Thank you that we can come into your throne room. We praise your name. Thank you for everything you've done in the lives of those impacted through the great ministry that is your ministry, Adult and Teen Challenge. We give you all praise and glory in your name. Amen. So be it. Uh, Gary, uh, in closing, tell us how we can gain uh, resources, information through Teen Challenge, but also how we can support it financially. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the easiest way, there's so much, uh, there's so many resources, uh, teenchallengeusa.org. Uh, the website's got every uh, information on there. All the centers are located on there, all their contact information, phone numbers, uh, et cetera. So best place, uh, teenchallengeusa.org. Uh, go to that website. Uh, the uh, As far as funding, you can go to that website. You can give uh, to uh, that uh, to our ministry. You can also allocate your funding for local ministries. If there's a teen challenge that's near you that you're aware of and you want to give to that teen challenge, go to the national website and you can put that in the giving uh, notes that you would like this to go to a teen challenge. So that's the easiest way to give. Uh, for us as well. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity, folks. We, we are excited to see what God is doing in the future. A lot of vision, a lot of growth within Teen Challenge, and praise God for what he's doing. You know, this podcast, it's not a fundraising podcast, but there is no better investment of your giving than to Teen Challenge. Uh, the return on investment is so clear. I mean, literally thousands upon thousands of people that have been transformed that are now being used, now being used to help others get set free. Gary, thanks so much for joining us. What a privilege. Thank you, Dave. I hope you enjoy listening to Influencers on the Charisma Podcast Network. Join us next week for another thought-provoking episode. And remember to use your influence to move people closer to Jesus.